At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. All right, book of Jonah. Let's go there. Book of Jonah. Uh, This is our last Sunday in in this incredible, mysterious uh, masterpiece of literature that we find in the, in the Word of God, in the, the section of the Bible we often call the minor prophets. Not minor because of importance, but minor because of length. Uh, giant, Jonah is, is just four chapters long. And it's pretty timely, at least it has been in my life, especially when we get into this last chapter of Jonah, this last scene. The recent, recent war against Ukraine, a company, uh, a company, a country that I deeply love, um, has really caused me to think about some of the questions that had been asked in previous generations, but recently have kind of gone un- unasked because of the time of peace that we've, we've been living in. When we hear the news reports of this most significant military crisis in Europe since World War II, when we see the, um, the false pretenses of the attack by Russia, by Russia, when we see the deceit and the lies that have been told to justify it, when we see of uh, the number of um, unarmed civilians uh, that, are, that are being attacked, when we suspect other nations that are in the crosshairs, of President Putin as he thinks of his conquest in that region, it causes us to think about some things we really haven't thought of in-depthly since World War II. Uh, There's a lot of reflections now when you think back to Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime and what happened in those 1940s. So when we think of Jonah, here's something to think about. In the early morning of October 16th, 1946, there was a Lutheran pastor who was taking a walk with a handful of his parishioners. This wasn't your normal congregation. They were, these men were about to be hanged uh, for heinous war crimes that they had committed while working in the Nazi regime. And he walked with these men who would be led to the gallows and a hood put over their heads and a noose around their necks and they would be hanged for their crimes. But Pastor Henry Grenke asked one of the men if he had any last words. This man happened to be the foreign minister for Adolf Hitler. And he's quoted in history as saying this, I place all my confidence in the Lamb of God who made atonement for all of my sin. And may God have mercy on my soul. He then turned to his pastor and said, I'll see you again. And then the lever was pulled and the trap door was opened and he dropped to his death. This pastor, Grenke, had led eight Nazi war criminals to faith in Jesus 
while they were prisoners waiting for their trial. Some of whom committed truly the most heinous crimes known in our generation. And not all of the world, nor all of the Christian world, appreciated his ministry. In fact, he would have to leave that country and find exile because of the threats to him and his family. After his death, his family found piles of letters of hate mail filled with anger and every slanderous name you could think of. Because the reality is, sometimes it's hard to comprehend if people like that could really repent and be forgiven and be given a place in heaven. Sometimes it's hard to imagine if that could possibly be that God would grant the application of the blood of his son Jesus to those who had committed such terrible sins against other people. I mean, we know God is compassionate and God forgives sinners, but man, there's sinners and then there's sinners, right? I mean, there's sin, but then there's sin. As someone once said, extreme expressions of redemption often elicit extreme reactions of hesitation. Okay, if God is really saying he's going to forgive, do I really want him to? And that's the story of Jonah. Because we see Jonah, the prophet, wrestling with this experience that sometimes the Lord's expression of compassion exceeds our logic. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense that God, if he is compassionate, would really extend his compassion to people like that. And this isn't a new problem. This wasn't even a new problem to, to Jonah's people. I mean, God had chosen the descendants of Abraham to be God's chosen people. And he promised to care for them and provide for them and be their God, protect them, to give them a land of promise. He would be with them. They would be his people. And his descent, Abraham's descendants treasured that. But it wasn't long before they then defined that as almost a sense of superiority over other nations. They certainly treasured God's compassion for them. But kind of struggled when it seemed that God was having compassion on people who they would consider their, their enemies. So here's Jonah, a prophet who heard from God to go to the land of Nineveh, a people that threatened Jonah's people. Here was Jonah who heard God's command, but that ran the other way, rebelled against God, found a ship going to Tarshish, experienced God's whisper through a storm to say, you're going the wrong way. He stubbornly refused to listen, 
So God intensified the storm where the only salvation for the crew was to throw Jonah overboard. So Jonah would rather die than give in to God's command. So Jonah was thrown overboard. But God in his compassionate mercy sent a fish to swallow Jonah, spared his life, brought him to the depths of the earth where Jonah stubbornly refused to heed God until finally he broke, repented, called out to God for mercy. God brought the fish to the shore and expelled Jonah to dry land. Jonah then began hiking the weak long journey to the city of Nineveh where he began to preach God's message. And he goes to this huge land, 120,000 people, as a foreigner with this strange message that this God they didn't know was going to destroy them And the people responded with repentance. I mean, who'd have thought they'd even listen to him? Give him the time of day, but they did. Not only did they listen, they they were struck in the heart where even the king told all the people, we all need to repent. We all need to be done with our wicked ways. It just might be that God relents. This Jehovah, this Yahweh relents from the destruction that we're due so Jonah watches them repent, and you would think that he would be thrilled. I mean, this was one of the most successful evangelistic campaigns ever. Billy Graham couldn't even say the whole city repented. But Jonah could. But here's how he responded. Jonah 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, that God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. The wording indicates that Jonah literally literally believed that God was wrong. That for God to relent the disaster that he had intended to be shown to Nineveh, for God to withhold that, God must be the evil one in this story. Verse 2, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my own country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. In other words, God, I don't like what you're doing. In fact, that's not what Jonah said. Jonah, in effect, said, I don't like you. I know who you are. I mean, I, re- I-, I memorized it. Exodus chapter 24. This is a quote directly from that book of the Bible that Jonah would have memorized as a young person, as a devout Jew boy raised in a Jewish home. He would have memorized this statement that said, Lord, our Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And Jonah says, and I think, That's just dead wrong. 
You ever said that? I mean, I, we probably would say, well, I hope I would never say such a thing. But I've heard it. I mean, I've literally heard people say it. I've even heard people in our church say this statement, essentially, where they've said, well, I don't really think that God is like this, where God's word specifically says he's like this. I think he's more like this. I don't, I don't like that God would do this. I, I think God should do this. What we're, what we're essentially doing is exactly what God called us to do from the very beginning where he says, don't make for yourself any graven image. In other words, don't make a God that you want. All right? Don't, don't, don't craft a God of your own choosing. That's what we tend to do. We look at the word and how God's refer, re, re, revealed himself and we say, ooh, that, I don't know. I, w- I think that if it's consensual, I think it should be okay. I, I think that if we love each other, that it's okay. God's, God's not worried about that. So we make for ourselves this image of God that fits us better. Remember what, what God said to Job when Job was arguing with God, how could you do this? How could you take so many of these wonderful things in my life away? How could you inflict so much pain in my life? And essentially, God's answer to him was, so Job, did you make me or did I make you? Job, who who is God? Do you have the ability to craft me into what you think I should do and be? Or don't you think I am the one that reveals to you who I am? Now, it's interesting, Jonah here, he says, I don't like the fact that you are so merciful and gracious, showing your steadfast love. And, but when you think of Jonah's life, what had, what had he just received? I mean, it, wouldn't you put God's work in Jonah's life in that category of steadfast love and mercy? Here's the guy that rebelled against God, ran the other way, God chased him down, he still pushed God aside. God rescued him. Jonah still pushes God aside. And finally, Jonah repents. And God says, that's what I was longing for you to do. And I was patient. I don't desire anybody's destruction. So I'll save you. Now, Jonah, being saved and experienced my great compassion, aren't you ready to go to Nineveh with the message that I gave you? So Jonah was, went with the message having experienced great compassion and mercy, but then he he shared it with the people that desperately needed God's mercy and grace. It frustrated him when God showed it. So God asked Jonah a question. Is it good for you to be angry with me? Point number one as we look at Jonah's story is, am I angry with God's compassion? I mean, what happens when God's mercy and compassion is given to others that we don't like? 
when I read this chapter, it was, it was literally the first day of the attack of the Russians and the Ukrainian people. Man, was I steaming. And when I read that question, do you do well to be angry? It was like God was pulling my cheeks, making me look in his face and say, do you believe that I am gracious and compassionate? Do you believe that I am patient? I mean, I wanted God to just send down the lightning bolts from heaven at that time. Maybe there's something in the heart of God that says, you know, I love all, I love all my people and I want all of them to, re- to experience my grace and my mercy. Remember the uh, story of the prodigal son that Jesus told? You've got that younger son that despises his father, so he goes to his father and says, hey, I kind of wish you were dead, but since you're not now, can I just have my inheritance and I'll, I'll act like you are? And so the father gives him his inheritance and he runs and he squanders it on his, his own fleshly passions and, and pleasures while the, the older son continued to faithfully serve his father. So there's the one son pouring into fleshly passions and here's the other son pouring into pursuing approval and self-righteousness the younger son finally crawls back to the father the father throws a great big party and in the story that Jesus told which son is described as benefiting from the party It's the one that desperately realized his need of mercy. I'd like to hope that in the story, if Jesus would have kept telling it, he would have said, and so the older son breathed a sigh and said, you know what? I'm not so good myself. Let's just join the party. I don't don't know if that's how Jesus' story would end. It ends with that point of the young man being welcomed into the party, The older son being invited, but his posture wasn't quite ready to receive it. I wonder where I am in that, in that story. Now, at at times, I realize I'm desperately needed God's forgiveness, but then sometimes I feel like, yeah, but I'm not as bad as they are. And when I see God's kindness showed to them, I don't know, sometimes I struggle with that and so God's question to Jonah comes to me and and I offer it to you because I don't want all the blame (laughs) is it good for us to be angry when God shows compassion on people that don't deserve it so what does God do to the prophet who doesn't like God What does God do to the one who took so long to turn back to God? What does he do when finally God shows mercy and then still the prophet turns right back to that same attitude he had before? Does God blast him? Or throw up his hands and say, I'm done with you. Does God abandon him? 
Maybe that's some of you. That's kind of why you're keeping me at distance from God. Because you just have this thought that if God knew, if you admitted how far away from him you are and how many times God reached out to you and brought you in, you keep walking away. And maybe you have that thought that I'm just, I, just, I just can't get close anymore because I, I can't believe that God would continue to pursue me. Then listen to Jonah's story. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head and to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So here's Jonah. Off by himself, taking some sticks, making a booth. Hopes of watching God destroy the city that truly deserved destruction. But sticks don't make real good shade. And God, who is steadfast in his love and his mercy, causes a plant to just like overnight, just sprout up with great big leaves and cover over that booth. So Jonah could truly experience relief in the shade. Maybe in Jonah's mind was this thought of, huh, well, not interesting that I built a, built a little shelter right here where this, a seed was in the ground and just happened to grow up over me. Boy, what a good guy I am. I know how to build my shelters. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. God appointed a storm. God appointed a fish. God appoints a plant. Now God appoints a worm that attacks the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. Don't think that God's not involved in little details of life. Don't think that for a minute. All those little things that give you that sense that, well, maybe God's continuing to pursue me. Don't think that he's not. When the sun rose, um, where did I leave off? Sorry. Right there? Okay, east wind. The sun beat down on the head of Jonah, thank you, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Isn't that right where he was before? Just throw me overboard. It's better than I die than I live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Self-centered people are rarely happy. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that in your life? When you become focused on how people are mistreating you or what you're not getting or how bad things are for you, isn't it interesting how grumpy you can be? Verse 10, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in a night and perished in a night. 
And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The very similar argument that Jesus used when his disciples were struggling with worry and fear, Jesus said, you don't need to worry. He makes a point by comparing something lesser to illustrate something greater. He says, look at the lilies of the field. They don't worry about what they're going to wear. But man, aren't they beautiful because your father cares for them. And, and consider the, the birds of the air. They don't worry about where they're going to eat. But your father cares for them. Won't he care for you? He says to Jonah, you're worried about a plant. You didn't even plant the plant. Much less cause it to grow overnight. You're more concerned about a plant than you think I should be in concern over 120,000 people who are spiritually unaware of their wickedness. They're unaware of who I am. I created them in my image. They're desperately in need of my compassion. I made them for my, my pleasure, to express my glory, and they're so far away from that. Don't you think I should have compassion on those people? Maybe at least as much as you have over the plant that's not even yours? And that's where the book ends. He kind of leaves us with that question. Do I care about people? Even those who seem a whole lot worse than me? Someone once said that Jonah lurks in every heart, whimpering an insidious message of smug prejudice, proud tribalism, an exclusive egotism. Every one of us can struggle with it if we fail to reflect on God's abundant compassion on us. Because the reality is, God has a global compassion. When God sees you as he sees the rest of humanity, he sees people that are, have fallen short of his glory. We've all missed the mark. We all desperately need his glory. And that's why he sent Jesus. You know, about 400 years later, God sent another prophet. His name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist came preaching repentance and saying, Look, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of us Jews. No, that's not what he said. There he is, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sins of the world, of all of us, of people that look like us and those that don't, people that behave like us and those that don't, that God's desire is for people of every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every culture to know that he is Lord. And sometimes we get caught up into this lifestyle that all we're thinking about is me. 
Sometimes churches get into this mindset that the most important thing is if we care about people that don't know Jesus here. You know, the people look like us. Because, you know, we wouldn't say that we're the chosen people, but I think God loves America more than everybody else, right? Aren't we the land of promise? I think we're trying to make a God of our own image. When we go to that conclusion, is God concerned about people that look like us that don't yet know him? Absolutely he is. That's why he says, be my witness in your Jerusalem. But isn't God also concerned about people that don't look exactly like us and don't sound like us and don't, don't behave like us? Absolutely. That's why he says, be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the world because people everywhere desperately need Jesus. They need his compassion. And the only way to the Father is through the Lamb of God who is slain to take away the sins of the world. So may our heart beat like God's heart beats. Beats for our nation and our community, but also beats for the nations of the world. Our heart needs to beat for those those that harm us and those that threaten us, those people that speak against us, the people who live down the street and drive us absolutely crazy, (laughs) the people we work with that surely, surely God's compassion can't reach them. He wants it to. The kid at school who looks down on you, Those people that didn't treat your kids right. The group in town that offended you. The nationality that speaks against you. The extremists that decapitate the heads of your brothers and sisters. The bully nations that come against other nations unprovoked. God says, my love is for them all. Care about your little thing that you enjoy in your life. Who provided that for you? You You didn't come up with it on your own. I provided that for you. But you treasure that more than you treasure the nations of the world. And some of us would say, yeah, but there's some people that it's just impossible to love. It's impossible to forgive. And I would say absolutely right in our own broken, frail humanity. But here's the incredible thing. That when you experience the grace and compassion of God and you allow it to transform your heart and you're forgiven of your sin, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to inhabit you, comes to live inside of you. And the evidence of His Spirit in you is the ability to love those that you couldn't otherwise love. And forgive those you couldn't otherwise forgive. And have peace in times that you couldn't otherwise have peace. And to be controlled, self-controlled, and patient, and kind, and merciful. That's the cool reality of the day we live in right now. That we don't have to go to a tent to worship God. God has taken up his dwelling place in us. And we can live with the heart and compassion of God, 
because his heart is in us. And then there's old Jonah that keeps trying to find territory in our life. So we have to continue to guard our heart. And as we see that start to fester in our heart, confess it as sin, and repent, and turn away from that, and press into the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to take ownership of that area of our life so we can truly love as He loves us. Father, You have... You have called us to something greater than what we can possibly do on our own. But Lord, that's the incredible thing about how you've worked from the beginning. You've, you've consistently done the impossible. You've changed people from being egocentric, ethnocentric, racist. You've changed them to being loving and compassionate passionate and kind. You've taken people that have walked far from you and you've turned their direction and you've called them close. You've called them your sons and daughters. You've even called them your friends. And so, Lord, we believe you can do that in our hearts too. If there's any here, Lord, that has never received and experienced your compassion, I pray that today would be that day that they relent they repent and they give in to you and receive all that you have for them. Lord, for those that are here today that we've received your compassion and yet we've kind of forgotten it, as we think towards certain people or certain classes or ethnicities or behaviors, and we start to compartmentalize your compassion, or maybe even begrudge it. Lord, would you forgive us and cleanse us? Help us to live out the nature of Jesus that is in us. So remind us of who you are and what you've done. And transform us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jonah is an incredible book of hope. It's, I, I call it a book of hope because Jonah wrote the book. He told this story. So that gives me confidence that Jonah woke up to the reality of his proneness towards racism. It gives hope for all of us. It gives hope when I, when I think of, of how the, um, the Apostle Paul, who was facing execution from the Roman emperor, would write to young Timothy and say, Timothy, remember, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Live strong, devoted to it. And also, show honor to the king. Pray for him. In fact, pray for all the kings, for all who are in authority, all those that would try to squash the message of the gospel. Pray for them and Live honorably in your land. I think of Paul's letter to Philemon and how he would say, yeah, I know, I talked to Onesimus and he stole from you. But I'm sending him back to you because I know you'll experience great joy if you forgive him. Because remember how much God has forgiven you. 
I find hope in this because written to the Ephesian people who are struggling in their church. There was Jewish people. There was people who were saved out of pagan lifestyles and they all had different holidays and some people were saying, I can't believe you celebrate that holiday. Don't you know it's a pagan holiday? And they were saying, I can't believe you celebrate that Jewish holiday. Don't you remember? You've been set free from the Jewish law. So there's a potential for conflict and Paul says, but actually, when Jesus died on the cross, he broke down all the hostility. Not just between us and God, but us and one another. So the love of Jesus overcomes all of those differences. And we can live in honor with one another. There's great hope for us. That hope is found in the gospel of Jesus. The good news that God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. If you believe, you have eternal life. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.